Our reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the church of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. And good morning again, everybody. And just so you know, uh, there are a few of our elders who are away this morning. They're over actually in Village South, um, over on the Ormo Road. Um, we uh, planted a church over on the Ormo Road, uh, which is called Village South Belfast. And uh, today is a church was kind of birth, um, which is amazing. Uh, it's a reason to praise God, to thank him for uh, just his goodness and his grace and what he has done over there. Um, I'm going to pray for them as a church today on that significant day. Uh, for Andrew and Healy, they're the, the leaders. Um, he, Andrew's the pastor of the church. They're leading the church over there. And uh, it would just be good to pray for them, to bring them before the Lord and all that he's doing over there um, in, in that kind of corner of Belfast as well as they live for him and serve him there. So I'm going to pray now. Lord, thank you for all that we've thought about so far this morning how we are your people, your family, uh, how you've brought us into your family through faith in Jesus. And Lord, how we're united together as this local church, but also to every other Christian, every other church across the world. Uh, You have uh, brought together a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, You have called them your very own. Uh, And Lord, uh, it's an amazing thing to think of the global church. It's uh, a thing that should... Uh, stir up our confidence in you, Lord, because as Fiona said, um, Jesus, your name has uh, been proclaimed uh, across the nations. Your name uh, has been proclaimed throughout the generations. And Lord, we're part of that. I pray we would see the significance of that this morning. And Lord, I, I want to pray and thank you for what you are doing over in South Belfast um, in Village Church South. Lord, thank you for Uh, the faithfulness of those people who went over there and planted the church um, when it was small in the early days. And how, Lord, over time, over five years, uh, you have uh, increased their number. You've uh, brought people into that church who um, were spiritually dead, but now are alive in you. Uh, Lord, they're part of the family of Jesus. And uh, Lord, you have done wonderful things. We pray um, that you would continue to do that. We pray that you would Uh, supply them with everything that they need, Lord, to bring you glory and honor. Um, I pray for Andrew and Haley. Thank you for them. Thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, and uh, just kind of responding to the calling that you put on their lives and uh, for how you've used them, Lord. I pray you would um, continue to equip them and empower them for the work that you've given them to do. I pray for Travis as well, one of the other elders, and his wife, Lauren. Uh, Lord, protect that church unify that church, um, and Lord, um, may they be a a real beacon of light in that South Belfast area and beyond that as well, Lord. Um, We thank you for them, and and we praise your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I want you to imagine uh, for a moment that you're someone who has been tasked in the world. It's big news. This isn't just news that's significant for you, for your life, for your family even, or for the closest people to you. This is news that, that everyone in the world needs to hear because this is that has the potential to change Yes, change everyone's lives. I'll change it right here. Think of something like the cure for cancer, or uh, news that would, would bring an end to world poverty. That's earth-shattering. That's news that really does have the potential to change this world. Imagine resources aren't a problem to you, so you have all the means in the world to do whatever you want, to spread that news however you see fit. How would you do it? How would you do it? How would you share it so everyone everywhere can hear this good news? You're probably going to start with getting it beamed on every news channel across the world in every language. You're going to make sure that it's on the front page of every big newspaper, flashing it up on all the, the big billboards in the biggest cities in the world. You're maybe going to get the, the biggest influ influencers in social media to do their bit, sharing the news with all their followers. You might employ some of the best linguists and communicators to head off to different countries in the world, some of the remotest places even to share the good news in different languages and different cultures. So many things you could do, the possibilities seem endless, but the long and short of it is, with news like that, you're gonna do whatever you can to make sure that it's shared across the world, that as many people as possible get the opportunity to hear it. Now you probably know where I'm going with this already, but we believe that, that God has got good news to share with this world. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that it's news he desires everyone in this world to come to the knowledge of. It's the news about his son, Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of who Jesus is, of what he has done, and of what he will one day do. And how does God, the God of the universe, the God who has all power and wisdom, how has he chosen to make this good news known in his world? How has he chosen to get the news about his son out there so that people everywhere, in every place, get to hear it? Well, primarily, the Bible tells us it's through us. Through us, his church. The church is the primary way that God has chosen to get his gospel out there in the world. It's the place where disciples are made and built up and sent out so that others are given the opportunity to hear the gospel proclaimed and to see the gospel lived out. And when we stop and we think about that, it's incredible, isn't it? When we look around this room, maybe, we think, that's astonishing. Considering who God is and everything that God has at his disposal, he could send legions of angels from heaven to come and share this news. He could speak from heaven himself in a booming voice and share it himself. There are a thousand and one things that he could choose to do. He doesn't need us one bit, but yet, amazingly, in his infinite wisdom and power, he chooses to use us, his church, to advance his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And this, this is why the church 
really matters. This is why the state of the church matters. The health of the church matters. The doctrine of the church matters. The leadership of the church matters. This is why the church matters. And this is why the Apostle Paul has written this letter to this church in Ephesus, to the leader of this church, Timothy. Because he knows that that if a church is going to make a difference for God in this world, then the church needs to be different from the world. The church needs to be different in the way that it lives, in the things that it says and proclaims. Paul's saying that to this church in Ephesus. He's saying the way you behave in God's family, in God's household, the church, it really matters. It matters in here, yes. And we might think as we read this that that this is all about in here. We sort ourselves out in here. But actually Paul says, no, it's not just about what goes on in here that, that impacts everyone in here. It's actually, it impacts everyone out there. Out there in the world. The state of the church, the health of the church makes a difference for mission in this world. For God's message getting out there to this world. Listen to what Paul says in these three verses, which really are the kind of the purpose of his writing to to Timothy in a nutshell. This is why he's written this. He says it in these verses. He says, I hope to come to you soon, church, but if I'm delayed, I don't want my message to be delayed. So here's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing so that you know how one ought to behave or conduct themselves in the household of Paul's basically saying, church at Ephesus, church at village, Do you want to make a difference for God in this world? If you do, if you do, then you must be different for God in this world. You must be. And really, Paul hones in in these verses on two big areas of difference. Two big areas that we're going to look at this morning in two points. And the first is this. The church must be different in its conduct. It's conduct, it's behavior. You saw the purpose for the whole letter in verse 14 and 15. It's on the screen. Paul says, I'm writing so that you may know how one ought to behave themselves in the household of God. So Paul brings up conduct throughout this letter. Chapter one is about conduct, the conduct of false teachers, which doesn't line up with the gospel. Chapter two is about conduct, the conduct of public worship and how it's meant to be done. Chapter three is about conduct, conduct of elders and deacons. So in other words, we live church at village matters. It matters. And there is a reason that that Paul says this about why we, we should live differently. We must be different because of what the church is, because of who the church is. Look at how God, through the Apostle Paul, speaks about his church. A metaphor in verse 14, that the church is God's household. That's what it is. The church is the household of God. See, the church is, is unlike anything else on this planet. The church is uniquely the family of is throughout this letter. So, for example, in chapter 3, verse 4, Paul has already said about the elders must man. They don't know how to manage their own household, their own family, then how are they going to manage the household of God, God's family? 
3, verse 4. 5, verse 1 and 2, Paul encourages Timothy to treat other Christians in Ephesus as members of the family. This is what he says. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as father, younger men as brothers, older, men, older women sorry, as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. It's family language. Look, when we, as the church here at Village, we say Village is, is a family, church is family, that's not just nice, a nice quaint. Church is family, brothers and sisters. Paul, he's going to say later on in chapter 5, he's going to talk about the responsibility of the church to care for widows. And those cases where the widows don't have any physical family of their own who can care for them. And he says in that, church, your job, your responsibility is to care for them, to look after them as one of your own. Because that's how family behaves. That's what life in the family is like. We live in in such an isolated, individualistic culture here in the West. Even in Christian culture, there can sometimes be this kind of individualism. Maybe even more so, I think, since COVID, since those times. People uh, the need for a relationship as much anymore for other people in their life. And that can be true in the church too. There are people who, who don't think that they need the church. They, they don't think they, they need other Christians in their life. They can go alone in the Christian life, a bit of a lone ranger. As long as they've got their Bible, the Holy Spirit, and a few good Christian podcasts, well, they're going to be fine. But the Bible says you were never designed to live by faith in Jesus on your own or grow in Jesus on your own. We were made to survive relationship, to mature and develop in the context of family, a faith family. If you're a a Christian here this morning, here is your story, minus all the details of your life. This is the big overarching story of what happened in your life in coming to faith. You were estranged from God. That's where it starts off. You were cut off from him because you were running from him towards whatever you thought was going to satisfy you. You were running in that direction, away from God. And if you ever became a Christian, if you it's because while you were in the opposite direction from God, Jesus Christ came after you. He came and he took hold of your life and he opened your eyes to see how glorious and how satisfying life with him really is and how real and how powerful his forgiveness is. And you realized that you desperately needed him. And so you turned to him for the forgiveness of your sins. You turned to him and, and you experienced the joy and the life that's found only in him. You got all of your shame and your guilt dealt with, taken away. And when you trusted in him and what he did for you at the cross and what he did at the tomb when he rose to new life again, you were reconciled to God. You were no longer estranged and cut off from him, but you were brought in brought near to him. He is no longer an enemy, but he is your friend. And you were justified. I'm taking the handheld mic. I'm taking the handheld mic. Sorry if it's been cut out. I can't do all my waving around now. Try and contain myself a little bit. And you were justified. And justified means that you were accepted by God 
So everything is now right between you and God because of what Jesus did for you on your behalf. And not only are you justified, you were adopted. You were brought into his family. You bear the family name. You were given a new identity, his son or his daughter, a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. And all over the world, you have brothers and sisters who have believed in Jesus and spiritually you are related by faith. You're not alone. You were never meant to be alone. That is your story. You're part of God's family. And this is where I, I think we understand the significance and the role of local church really matters. Because yes, it's true, as Christians, we are part of the global church. This global family of God from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we should feel that sense of unity, that sense of love and togetherness with the universal church. We should be praying for the church across the world. We should be seeking ways to serve and support our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world. But it's much harder to feel any family-like obligation to the global church, isn't it? The blessing and the beauty of church as family is only experienced in the truest and most meaningful sense when it's done with the people we know by name, with the people we see face to face, and we walk with by faith week by week, the people we're living out the gospel with, our brothers and sisters in Christ in that local church context, who we're involved in their lives. We can actually encourage each other in the faith. We can actually bear each other's burdens. We can really be accountable to each other and confess our sins to each other. We can pray regularly and intentionally for each other. We can support each other in times of real difficulty and sorrow. We can sit together and weep. We can rejoice together. Those are the things that we are meant to do in God's family together. That's what life together is meant to be like. So being part of the local church, it involves not only those blessings and benefits, but it also involves responsibilities. And one of the big responsibilities of being part of God's family is reflecting the family likeness to this world. Reflecting the character of our God, Jesus Christ, our brother to this world. Not just personally, but collectively, together. And this is why Paul says our conduct matters. This is why Paul talks so much in this letter about godliness. Nine times he talks about it. Because he knows that the world is watching Ephesus is watching, Belfast is watching, and the way we live together, the way we behave in the household of God affects the receptiveness of the world to the gospel. It affects the world's interest in the gospel. Paul says it here, Peter says it in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus said it himself on the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your behavior, your conduct, and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. Our conduct matters. It matters not just for in here, but it matters for the purpose of mission. So here's a question for us. What is Belfast learning about the character of God by the way that we live together? by the way that we conduct ourselves in this family? What are 
your work colleagues or your closest family or your friendship group, what are they learning about God's character through your conduct, individually, personally, as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, of God, sorry, brother or sister of Jesus Christ? Because when we leave here, we don't cease to be the church. We are the church scattered out there in the world, in our workplaces, in our homes, in the pub, coffee shop, wherever we are. We reflect God's character and God's likeness to those we are around there. But in another sense, this is where our being together as the family is really beautiful. Because there are things about God's character that are better communicated to this world together rather than alone. Things that we cannot communicate to this world about God on our own. We need our brothers and sisters to be able to do that. So the question is, what is Belfast, this community here in East Belfast, what are they learning about the character of God by the way that we live as God's children together? Look again with me at what Paul says in verse 15. He says, I'm writing these things so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And then he goes on, which is the church of the living God. He's the living God. What an incredible description of God. He's the living God. In other words, if the living God has a church, the church must be alive. The church must demonstrate signs of life, of God's life in us. My granda, Alan, that's where I get my name from, he, uh, he was the most still and silent sleeper I think I've ever come across in my life. And when he was getting on in life, uh, he'd basically fall asleep anywhere. And I remember one of my granny's most common phrases was, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. She'd always say that, especially when he was getting older. Because honestly, he looked like he was dead. He did. When he was sleeping, nothing was moving. You had to put your hand above his mouth just to make sure that he was still breathing. Here's the thing. I hope no one ever looks at us as a church and has to check if we're dead or just sleeping. I hope no one has to question whether this church is still breathing. Because if we are a church of the living God, then we will be a church that is alive, is active. That'll be a church that's in motion, full of verbs. There'll be praying, discipling, abiding, growing, gathering, welcoming, sharing, risking, reaching. And why will it be like this? Because it's the church of the living God. The church is alive and kicking because God is there. His presence is among us. Think again about the church as God's household. That's not a reference to the building. It's not as though this place is, is some kind of sacred, special place in the world. Paul, when he's talking about the church as God's household, he's not talking about the bricks and the mortar, the actual building. No, God does not dwell in buildings. The living God dwells in a people, his people, his family. He lives in and among his church. The central covenant promise in the Old Testament from God to his people is this, I will live with them. I will walk among them. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. And do you know where this promise goes viral? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, where the Spirit of the living God is poured out on the church, on his people. And Paul says, in Christ we are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. God inhabits his people, us, his church. So in other words, if you want to be able to find God today, you ought to be able to enter into the life of his church and find him there. When you, as Christians, when you come in here, you ought to be able to experience the life of God, the presence of God here among his people. When others who are not part of the family, others who maybe don't yet know Jesus, when they come in, they ought to be able to see and experience in us God's presence. Something special that unites us. What is it? We want them to ask that question. What is it that unites you? Paul talks about this, uh, this reality in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when the whole church comes together, if an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, and so long as they actually understand what's being communicated in gathered worship, he says that little caveat in that passage, but as long as they understand what is being communicated, Paul says that they should be able to gather with God's people and leave saying this, truly God is among you. God was there among those people. Village, we are the family of God. The people God lives in and lives among. And knowing this should have a massive impact on the way we live together. It should change the way we view each other. The people sitting around you, they are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. They are God's children, the one in whom his presence dwells. That's amazing. It should change the way we view being together, worshiping together on a Sunday, praying together on a Monday night, eating together around the table at an MC family dinner, because in all of those times, the presence of the living God is among us. He is with us, at work in us. And it should change the desire even that we have to do what we did last night, to gather together and to invite others to come in amongst us. At a simple thing like watching a rugby match together, God's presence is among us as people and others experience something when they are amongst us and they see the love that we have for each other. Listen, the big question for all of us this morning is, are we seeing the church the way we should? Do we see the church as family, because the way we see the church will affect the way we behave in the church and the way we interact with the church. If you see the church as a social club, as a place where you come to, to hang out with people who are just like you, people who, who like all the same things that you do, people who look the same way as you do, well, that's what the world does. The world has those clubs. There's nothing different about the church then if we just behave and act like a social club. What is unique about God's family is that we are from every tribe and tongue and nation, that we are from every walk of life, and that we are united together, not because of the things that we do, or the things that we say, or the way that we look, but because of Jesus Christ. He unites us. And you know, that is a beautiful thing. That is a, a wonderful thing. 
because it is an amazing witness to this world. The world cannot make sense of that. Why I am with you and why you're with me. Why I say that I need you and you say that you need me. Why we hang out together. Why we make meals and eat with each other. Why we make meals for each other. The world can't make sense of those things. In a world that's so disparate and that spends so much time apart, when we spend time together, it's a wonderful witness to God. And you know, it it will stir their curiosity. Jane talks to me about being in in hospital uh, and working with other people who aren't Christians. Uh, I'm talking about on a Wednesday night, getting together with people to eat. And they cannot understand it. People are like, you get together during the week with like 15 people to eat? Why do you do that? An opportunity in that to speak of Jesus. Well, it's because it's my church family. People that I, I live my Christian life alongside. People I need. That is an amazing witness to this world. See the church as a filling station. As a place where I go to get my needs met, to get filled up spiritually, as a place that I come to at one time and then I leave and I don't come back again until I need something again. I need spiritually filled up. Well, that's not what church is meant to be either. We cannot live out church's family in 90 minutes here on a Sunday. We can't do it. Church is not a filling station. Church is a family. See the church as a charity, Maybe something that you give to, something that you primarily volunteer at. Church is not something that we give to. Yes, we do give to the family, but church is also something when we live it out as a family that we get so much from, so many blessings and benefits. And maybe you're missing out on those blessings and benefits because you're not with your family. Paul says that the church is family. Do we see it like that? Because the way we see the church will affect the way we behave and conduct ourselves as the church. So Paul talks about the importance of the church's conduct, and secondly, he talks about the importance of the church's confession. The church's confession. So in verse 16, Paul gives what some people think is like an old hymn that was sung by the church, or or others think it might be like an early confession of faith, like a creed that we had this morning. Whatever it is, it is a truth that, that the church has confessed throughout the generations, that the church will continue to confess in the future. A truth that the church holds on to in the world and holds up to the world. So it holds on to this truth in the world and it holds up this truth to the world. You could say it's a truth that the church preserves and proclaims, preserves and proclaims. John Stott said this, the church depends on the truth for its existence, but the truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. And Paul uses two metaphors to show this kind of dual aspect of preserving and proclaiming. He says in verse 15, the church is a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, I've got on the screen some pictures of pillars and buttresses, if you don't know what they look like. But just think about them for a moment, what they do for a structure. They provide strength and stability for the whole structure. One, so that it stays there, so that it remains permanent, and two, so that it's visible for the world to see. 
so that it stands and is seen from generation to generation. And this is the church's job. This is the church's responsibility to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. And I wonder if Paul is being intentional intentional to this church specifically in Ephesus in what he's saying here using these metaphors. Because the temple of Artemis was in this city in Ephesus, and it made this city one of the most distinctive skylines in the world at that time. It was one of the, the seven ancient wonders of the world, uh, and it was beautiful. You could see it from so far away. It was held up by these 127 massive pillars. They were 18 meters high, which to us doesn't sound massive, but back then it was. And you could see the roof of the temple just gleaming, shining far and wide. And Paul says to this very city with that stunning skyline, he says, you, you church are the pillar which holds up the truth about God, the truth of the gospel. You hold it up for all around to see. That's your job. Both the lives you live and the message you proclaim should display the shining glory of God to this world. And verse 16 is that truth that we hold up to the world, that we proclaim. It's the good news that God wants the world to know going back to the start. The good news about his son, the great mystery of godliness is revealed to us in Jesus, in who he is, in what he has done and what he will one day do. Because Paul says, look at the the verses together. He says, he, that's Jesus, was manifested in the flesh. So Jesus, he showed up in this world in human form, skin and bones. And that's really not a big deal if Jesus is just anyone. If Jesus is a normal human being like you and me, well, that is not big news. Whenever baby Liam Lockhart, for example, was born born in our church recently, no one said he was manifested in the flesh because that's how every baby shows up in the world, skin and bones. But in saying this, Paul is obviously saying that there was something unique about this baby when he came into the world. He is not like everyone else. This is God showing up in our world in the flesh, in human form. Jesus Christ, fully God, immortal, invisible, leaving the glory of heaven and being born into the world through the the womb of the Virgin Mary, fully human. This is God becoming one of us. It is a mystery, isn't it? A great mystery. So that first line is Paul saying, this is who Jesus is. It's his identity. Now, depending on the commentaries you look at and you read, the way they split up the next bits, it kind of varies. Um, But but most commentaries would say that that this is referring to Jesus' life, the, the things that happened in his life. So Jesus was manifested in the flesh. God took on flesh and made his dwelling place among us. And he was vindicated by the Spirit. Most commentators would say this is talking about his resurrection. So, In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, Paul is introducing the gospel, and he says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So the spirit is linked to his resurrection. The spirit's power was at work in raising Jesus from the dead. And in his resurrection, Jesus was vindicated. His resurrection is the proof that he is everything he claimed to be, that he is God's Messiah, that he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he really is alive 
and that he really does rule and reign forever. He was seen by angels. The angels were there at his resurrection, weren't they? Sitting by his tomb. And they were there at his ascension in Acts 1, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, into the clouds, to sit down at the right hand of his Father. His disciples were there with him, and they were all looking up to heaven, as you would. Uh, But then an angel appears beside them and says, what are you all looking up into heaven for? The way you've seen him go up is the way you will see him come back again. And from that moment on in the book of Acts, we see Jesus preached among the nations. His disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they go out proclaiming this good news about Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And through the good news that they proclaimed, people believed on Jesus in the world. And as this message is, is passed down through the generations, more and more people believe on Jesus, even to this day. And then that last line is probably the one that people debate most. What's it referring to? Taken up in glory. You might think that it's referring back to his ascension again. But based on the flow of this, it it kind of flows chronologically through the life of Jesus Christ. So most commentators think that it links to his return in glory. That time in the future when King Jesus returns to this earth and his glorious kingdom is fully revealed. So this hymn, this is a, a confession of faith in verse 16. This is the good news that God wants the world to know about his son, Jesus. That this Jesus is the one who came into the world as our savior. This Jesus is the one that through his life and his death and his resurrection offers salvation to all people, forgiveness, adoption into God's family, the hope of life forever and not death. He is the king who will one day come back to this world and bring everyone who has put their trust in him into his glorious, perfect kingdom forever. That is the gospel, the good news that God wants everyone to have the knowledge of. And as a church, we hold up this truth to the world. We hold it up by the lives that we live, that Jesus is our king, that he is Lord over all things, every part of our lives. We hold up this message to the world by the things that we say, by the message that we proclaim, But we do all that by holding on to this truth ourselves. This is the the part in the preserving of the truth I think that's really important. We ourselves, as the household of God, we hold on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in him, Paul says, the mystery of godliness is revealed. Jesus is the only way for us to live as we should in God's household. Jesus is the only one who makes it possible for us to conduct ourselves in God's household as we should, to live these godly lives that God is calling us to, to truly love others here in this church as we should, but also others outside this church. Jesus is the only one who who enables us as the church to proclaim the truth with our lives and with our lips as we should. Jesus is the only one who can bring us into God's family. If you're someone who who wants to be part of this, who wants to be a son or daughter of God in heaven, Jesus is the only way for that to happen. 
His life and death and resurrection makes it possible. Believing in him. Jesus is the only one who can uh, help us, empower us to live lives on mission, making God known in this world, glorifying him as a family together. So what do we do as a church then? Because we want to hold up this truth to the world, don't we? We want others to know about Jesus. We want to make a difference in this world. The only way to do that is to hold on to this truth ourselves together. This is our collective confession of faith, that Jesus Christ is all he said he was, and in him we are God's family. So we cling to him. We point each other to him. We pray for each other to grow in him. We spend as much time in our week together marveling at him, hungering and thirsting for more of him, for more of his presence in us, for more of his presence among us. We invite others to come in and to experience Jesus amongst us, to see Jesus lived out in our lives together. We proclaim the truth about Jesus to this world, and we pray that God opens blind eyes and brings people into his family. It feels like a big task, doesn't it? Being on mission for God, being the way that God advances his kingdom in this world. Maybe you sat at the start and you listened to that and you thought, massive. How can we do that? Looking around this room, so unimpressive, I'm sorry to say. But this is the way God works. He has chosen the weak things in the world to, to reveal himself to this world. Think about Jesus, his life. No one looked at Jesus and thought outwardly he was impressive. But this is who Jesus is. This is who we know him to be. And when Jesus is in us, he does amazing things. Amazing things. He is building his church. His kingdom is advancing. And nothing can stop that from happening. So I pray for us as a church that as we study this book, as we Think about all that Paul is saying here, that that our conduct and our confession as the household of God shines the glorious light of Jesus to this world. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, we, we do marvel at the truth of the gospel. It's incredible who Jesus Christ is. manifest in this world in the flesh. Lord, we can, we can just let things like that trip off our tongue, but that's the truth that you, the God of all things, the God of the entire universe, who holds all things in the palm of his hand, you chose to become like one of us, to lay aside your glory and to enter into this world. And the reason you did it was for us, for all of us here in this room, for all the people who are out there in the streets that live around us here, For everyone in this world, you want everyone to know that the reason you came is to save us, to bring us back to yourself, to give us the hope of life in you and not death separated from you forever. Lord, you're so gracious. You're so good. The gospel is so incredibly amazing. Lord, I pray that we, as your church, as your family, that we see who we are in you, that we would rejoice in that, that we would Thank you always, Lord, for that. That we would see the significance of of each other and, and who we are together. 
We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are united together in his love. Lord, that, that should change the way we live together. That should change how we view each other. Lord, I pray that we would live as a church family in the way that you call us to. That we would be a church that spends time gathering together, experiencing your presence in us and among us, Lord. That's an amazing thing. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be a church that invites others to come in and experience you in us. Lord, I pray that you would use us in this world. Lord, we do long to make a difference, not for our glory, but for yours. We long to see your name lifted high. We long to see others come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and, and put their trust and their faith in him, Lord. We, we long to see people come from spiritual death to spiritual life. There are maybe people in our minds right now, people in our families, people we work alongside, people who live in the street around us, people we, we, we really do love and care about. And Lord, we would love nothing more for them to see and experience life in you. Use us, Lord. Send us out to them. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, I pray, Lord, that if they have not trusted in you and they're not part of your family in that sense, that today they would see that that is possible. Today, everything can change for them. Their future can change. Their sense of belonging can change. Their purpose in this world can change if they receive and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Trust in him, what he has done for them at the cross, at the tomb, what he will one day do when he comes back to, to usher his kingdom into this world, to bring them in with him, to say, you're with me, come in and experience life and glory forever. Lord, I pray that they would see the invitation and they would take hold of that and trust in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We're so undeserving, but you're so merciful and you're so good. And we praise you now.